0: Uh, if you keep your Bibles open at page, um, uh, on page 184, we're looking at that passage in Deuteronomy today and there's an outline in the bulletin if you find that helpful to follow along. There's a lot in this passage and uh, uh, I haven't been able to cover everything and so if you've got lots of questions or questions, you feel free to ask me over morning tea because there's a lot that I've had to cut out because uh, I would have been speaking for at least an hour if I kept everything in there. Uh, and so, um, yeah, feel free to ask me questions afterwards as well. Uh, Let let us pray as we come again to God's word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you um, for making yourself known through history. And we thank you that that that, that history is written down in a language we understand. And we want to worship you on your terms, not our own. And we want to be discerning about the culture in which we live. So to embrace embrace what reflects your goodness and to reject what doesn't. So please enable us now to see what it means to worship you according to what your word teaches us today and not according to whatever we see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you may have been past so many times and wondered what is in there. It's time to come and take a look. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Uh, it's what we put on the top of the brochure, that, uh, the flyer that we box dropped to thousands of people, 6,000 households this past week, and so many people came along uh, And uh, yesterday to our open day, it was really exciting. And, uh, but when they came, what were they looking for? Now, many came because of the graveyard history tours that Susan ran and the history of the church building tour by George, but why is the church building here in the first place? And it's not here because of what happened yesterday on a Saturday but what happens today on Sundays every week on every Sunday for the last 175 years and if people come to visit a church service that we have here not a graveyard tour or church building tour but a service of worship what are they coming to look for what are they coming to look at What do people in this building actually do when they get together? Now, as individual Christians, our whole lives are an act of worship to God. But as we work through this passage today, let us consider this question What do we do when we gather to worship God together? What do we do when we gather to worship God together? Now the book of Deuteronomy that we are working our way through each week is a series of sermons that Moses gives as the the people are preparing to enter into the promised land. And the first sermon was about their immediate history in chapters 1 to 4. And then the next sermon started in chapter 5 and finishes in chapter 26. That's the longest one of the lot. And we are in the middle of that one. We're not trying to do it all in one week. But as we've been going through Deuteronomy, maybe you notice that there's a lot of repetition A lot of repetition. Remember, remember, remember. Don't forget. Be careful. Chapter 4. Now Israel, hear the decrees and the laws I'm about to teach you. Chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you. Chapter 8. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees. Chapter 10. Observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today. Repetition, repetition, repetition. The people listening were probably thinking, well, yes, 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 yes. Well, when are you going to tell us what these decrees and laws actually are? It's all good, Mother. Tell us you know, about them. Well, what are, actually are they? It's been quite a few chapters already, and you still haven't actually got to what they actually are. Well, in chapter 12, there's a definite shift in, uh, into unpacking them, and it is what some commentators call the law code. Now, last week, Sam reminded us to remember the context. Key phrase: remember the context, that the laws that are handed down are in the context of an existing relationship. He reminded us that the Ten Commandments actually begins with a preamble that is not written on the walls up the back here. It's an expression of what God has already done for his people before he hands down the Ten Commandments. So obeying the Ten Commandments is a response to what God has already done. And so as God's people, we are called to love and worship God because he first loved us. Remember the context. Obedience, not so that God loves us, but obedience because God loves us. This context of grace first and obedience second is picked up at the end of Chapter 11 there, in verse 31 to 32. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. The context of grace, what the Lord God is doing for them. What's their response? Verse 31b. When you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I'm setting before you today. Grace, and in response to grace, obedience. The beginning of chapter 12 picks up on that when it says, these are the decrees and laws that you must be careful to follow in the land that the Lord, your God, the, Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given you to possess as long as you live in the land. Now, even with all the repetition, there is still a progression of thought in this passage in chapter 12 in particular. It looks like it might be going all over the place with its repetition. Uh, but there is actually a flow of thought in there. Now, time management gurus, or what is recently called energy management, tell us that our no is our yes. By saying no to one thing, it means we can properly focus, properly focus on what we are saying yes to. No to overwork means yes to family. No to a late night is saying yes to a solid start in the morning. And when it comes to what we worship in our lives, this passage is basically telling us what we say no to is an expression of what we are saying yes to. So how does what you say no to express what you worship and hold dear in your life? Within the first half of this passage, verses 2 to 4 speaks about how not to worship. What to say no to, verse 5 to 7, speaks about... How to worship, what to say yes to. And the verses 8 to 14 weave into these two themes. Verse 2 to 3. Let's begin with how not to worship in verse 2. Destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, burn their Asherah poles in the fire, cut down the idols of their gods, and wipe out their names from those places." You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. It's another way of saying no to the destructive elements of the culture in which they're about to enter. And as they took possession of the land the Lord their God was giving them, they would have been surrounded by a culture saturated with idols of counterfeit gods. They would need to make a choice. Will we worship the Lord our God the way the world around us does? Dismissing the unique claims of God? Scoffing at the lifestyle of God-fearers? Or will we unashamedly live a life that is counter-cultural? And verse 30 uh, puts that question before them. Be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about these gods, their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. But there is a serious problem because where does doing the same as the culture around them lead to? And there is this tragic picture at the end of chapter 12, an awful, awful picture of where worshipping the way the culture around them worshipped their gods leads them to. Verse 31, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Because in worshipping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. No wonder the Lord God calls for the destruction of idols that lead and entice people to do something as depraved as that. Destroy, break down, smash, burn, cut down, wipe out. There is a saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. I'm sure you're all familiar with that. But would you say that about Australian culture? Now having returned to Australia after more than 10 years living overseas, there are a lot of great things about the culture in Australia that I I love and I embrace and I really missed about being overseas. But there are also some things that I don't want to embrace, things that I'm a bit ashamed about, about my own country, a culture of alcohol-fuelled violence. A culture of violence against women. The proliferation of online gambling. Do we still want to say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do? A culture in Australia of always trying to scam the system, rich and poor alike. A culture of corporate greed. The scourge of easy access to online pornography that leads to a culture of unfaithfulness in marriage. Increasing issues of pedophilia, a culture that is indifferent to the reality that we sacrifice close to 80,000 unborn babies a year to the idol of lifestyle and convenience. Do we still want to say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, about our own culture? What do we do when we worship God together? While we are not called to physically destroy, break down, smash, burn, cut down, wipe out the idols of culture around us, one thing we do when we gather together is to remind each other that our culture doesn't define the way we worship God. God is bigger and far superior to the culture around us. We worship God on his terms, not on our own, not on the the terms of our culture. And this is what verse 5 to 7 picks up on as it tells us what to say yes to as we worship the Lord our God. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Now, there's a lot lot in there, but let me comment on a couple of things. The expression, the place of the Lord your God will choose, appears six times alone, just between verses 5 and 26. It's indirectly referred to another five times. And in their journey into the Promised Land, there is this string of places where the people encountered the Lord their God. Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were handed down, was one of those chosen places. And then in the Promised Land, there'll be other places like Gilgal, Shiloh, and eventually Jerusalem, the city. Then the prophets will speak of of a new Jerusalem to come. But just as the Lord their God will bring them into the land... The people are to bring their offerings of thankfulness to God for bringing them into the land, but at the place that God has chosen. Now this place of worship is one topic of many that Jesus had uh, in, uh, talked about with a converse, in a conversation he had with a Samaritan woman many centuries later when she was asking about wh- where is this place of worship? Jesus said these words, A time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. And in truth. The woman said, Well, I know the Messiah is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus said those famous words, in reply, I who speak to you, am he. Jesus is God's Messiah. Now, Jesus was revealing that the true place of worship is not a particular place. That place was only pointing forward to something far greater. The true place of worship is not a place, but a person. While there may have been a string of places in the Old Testament where people could come and worship the Lord their God, Jesus is now that place. True and genuine worship that is driven by the Spirit of God focuses on Jesus. And in his death on the cross Jesus redeemed his people by taking the judgment that we deserve for doing what is right in our own eyes. Worshiping counterfeit gods of our age, the empty way of life embraced by all who reject God as creator of all. And true worship is about engaging with the Lord God on his terms, in the way that God makes possible, and God makes it possible through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. There is no other way. It doesn't matter where we worship because the focus is no longer at a particular place. So when we come into this building each week, as beautiful as the building is and it's as, as great to celebrate it yesterday, and I, I enjoy meeting here, I enjoy the space, the atmosphere, it's very special. But let's remember that the object of worship is more important than the place of worship. And remember why we come here in the first place and why this building was built. The object of our worship is God, is the Lord our God. So what do we do when we come to worship God together? Well, When we worship God together, we worship God together. That is why we are here. We are worshiping God together to remind ourselves of who God is, to come before him not with animals of sacrifice but with humble hearts, with praise and thanksgiving. But there is also another side of our worship and as well as the vertical aspect of worship to God it's the way we relate to him on his terms through Jesus, there is also the horizontal and the way that we relate to one another because when we worship God together, we worship God together. We are here together in this place. And this building was built so we could get together. And people have been getting together for the last 175 years, and there is a lot to celebrate about that. Verse 7 says this, There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to, because the Lord your God has blessed you. Have a look at verse 12 also and see who is included in that celebration. And there rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites from your towns who have no land allotted to them or any inheritance of their own. Worship here is pictured as a response of everyone in the community of faith, joyfully feasting on the blessings of being invited into the presence of the Lord their God both rich and poor alike, the landowners and the economically vulnerable Levites without land of their own and everybody in between, united as one in worship of the Lord their God, God's people living in God's place and enjoying the blessings of God's rule, worshipping the Lord their God on his terms And pointing forward to the great multitude that will worship God into eternity that the book of Revelation speaks about. Now, uh, who grew up on uh, meat and three veg? Okay, who grew up on meat and three veg? Quite a few there. That's right. One of the things that our culture has got right is our love of food. And even though I still love my meat and three veg, I am now exposed to a variety of tastes from so many nations around the world. Even five minutes' drive from here, there's so many different options of food, uh, and that's fantastic. And every week, we have morning tea together after the formal part of the service, and once a month, we have our congregational lunches. And eating together is a way of worshipping God together, enjoying the goodness of His blessings, and being thankful for food and fellowship. Today will be our standard Aussie sausage sambo on the barbecue. Um, but last month we had a great time having a curry lunch together. Wasn't that fantastic? And that's part of our worship to God, enjoying that fellowship and in being thankful for the goodness that God has given us. Enjoying the goodness of God's provision is an expression of God's is an expression of worship together. Having a meal on your own. It's very different to having a meal with other people who are also. Uh, united in Christ. So what do we do when we worship God together? When we worship God together, we worship God together. We worship God together, not on our own. So let me draw out some implications of that, four implications. Gathering together to worship is not something we should be flippant or casual about. If Moses had to call out the Israelites for worshipping the Lord God whatever way they pleased... We need to also be careful. And thank you for all of you when faced with a clash of options on a Sunday morning, you choose church as your first priority. That you don't push gathering to worship God together down the list of priorities and fit it in when you can, but you make it a priority. Because you recognise how important it is to gather together. Your presence today is a reflection of your priorities. And I want to say thank you for that. It's, It's encouraging. I'm encouraged every week. Imagine if I stood here every week and there was nobody here. Implication two. But that also means that what we do when we gather together is to worship God on his terms and not our own And as we meet in this particular church building, we try and design the services to worship the Lord our God to reflect that we're coming to him on his terms. Now, as it is History Week, let me delve into the past. About 500 years ago, and on the 21st of March, 1556, a man was burnt at the stake in England. Any history buffs want to take a guess about who that man is? Cranmer, that's right, Thomas Cranmer, Very good, Jenny, very good. <laughs> One of the legacies he left for us almost 500 years later is the guidelines that he wrote down to help shape the form of a Sunday service when people gather to worship together. We continue to follow those guidelines today uh, in this church. Now, I'm not sure if you've picked up on this, but apart from the communion service when we have it, there are four basic forms of service that we use from week to week. Now, I know a lot of you haven't grown up in the Anglican Church, and so I want to use this opportunity to explain a few things that are related to the richness of our heritage that reflect what is going on in this passage. Now, some services recognise the need to start with a time to humble ourselves before the Lord our God, recognizing we don't deserve God's grace, that that is reflected in the use of the confession at the start, that we pray out loud together. We we begin with in humility and and repentance, and, and that's what we did today. We had a time of confession at, at, at the start of the service. Well, there's other forms that reflect a time of begin with a a time of praise and a prayer of thanksgiving to start coming in and thanking God for who he is and what he's done. Another form celebrates what the Lord God has revealed about who he is by saying together a summary of what we believe is God's people at the very beginning of the service, a creed. We've had both a confession and a creed in the service at the start. But Each service is designed with a particular flow in mind. It's not just a random uh, putting these three songs in a sermon and chuck a few bits and pieces in. Each thing is designed with a particular flow in mind and that's the influence of Thomas Cranmer. And so each service, whether it's from humility to thanksgiving and celebration or thanksgiving to humility and then to celebration. And if you want to know what the four forms are, the key forms, then and, and collect the bulletins over a four-week period and compare them and see what the differences are. Or if you want to borrow a prayer book that from the back table, I've actually got some out. I've put them up next to the computer and there's some in the, in the seats on the way out in the foyer. If you want to take one and have a look at that and see how it's put together the different forms, feel free to do that. Because you find that the structure of the service entry, it's no random thing. We're trying to be intentional about reflecting, coming to God on his terms, not our own. But that also means if it's intentional in what we're trying to do, that for those of you who struggle with having a casual approach to what time you arrive, please remember that each part of the service is designed for a particular purpose. And so when you come late, you not only miss out on the opportunity to follow the flow of the service, but you also disturb other people who are trying to focus and concentrate. It's not just about you. We gather to worship together. You don't gather to worship individually. This is especially true when we have a time of confession at the start. How can we have a time of confession together when you are walking down the aisle looking for a place to see? Brothers and sisters, can I urge you to consider the needs of one another to be able to focus on the whole service by arriving at the time that is helpful for other people. If you do happen to get here later, I don't want to be um, pointing the finger, but don't come in to the building when we're praying. Wait respectfully in the foyer Till the music starts and begin to sing, and just come wandering in willy nilly. We come to God on His terms, not whenever we feel like it. The third implication is the communal element of worship, and Grandma designed some parts of the service to be said or prayed aloud, and part of the purpose of that is to remind us that when we gather to worship God together. We worship God together. And we hear each other's voices praying to God, affirming what we believe, singing together. And that's one of the richnesses of gathering together. We hear each other. We hear each other's voices. Praying to God. Saying the creed. Singing together. It's a great source of encouragement. We can't get that on our own in our homes. And we all know what it's like to watch a service on the internet when it comes to singing or saying things out. We can't hear each other. We can't appreciate the richness of hearing each other's voices. So sing loudly. Speak loudly. Speak with conviction when it's the opportunities to share in things out loud together. And let's make sure that our singing is something that we can enjoy as we hear each other singing. Now, you need to sing loudly, especially if you're standing next to me so you can drown out my poor voice. But don't care, don't worry if you can't sing very well. It doesn't matter. We're singing to God together and we can enjoy being together. Now, you may have been past so many times and wondered what is in here and you came to take a look. And you have. At some point in your lives, you came into this building or in the hall to take a look. What is actually going on here? What do people do when they worship God together? What do those people do when they worship God together? Well, when we worship God together here at St Thomas's, we worship God. We worship God together and that is why we are here this morning. And the only people who can worship God legitimately are the redeemed of the Lord, which is implication for if you are not a Christian here today or listening, I urge you to consider taking that step of faith to choose to worship your Creator God and becoming a brother and sister in Christ. So along with us, we can worship God together. Let me pray for us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is through Jesus that we come to worship you. Please help us to be discerning about the culture in which we live. To not allow it to shape the way that we come to worship you to be thankful for what reflects your goodness and to be discerning about what doesn't. Enable us to worship you on your terms, not on our own, not on whatever we feel like. Please enable us to remember that when we gather together to worship you, we worship you together.